This is with the second pick, Steve Francis, the aggressively niche Vancouver Grizzlies basketball podcast, where we try to unforget some of the most forgettable games in NBA history. We watch old Grizzlies games and break them down in jaw-dropping detail. And today, our first game of the home squad's 1996-97 season, a matchup with the Spurs at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. I'm here with the other Justin McElroy, the collector of municipal pins and knower of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Justin McElroy. How you doing, Justin? I like how we're calling me the other Justin McElroy while doing a podcast. Jeremy, it's season two. We thought after one season, only 15 wins for the Vancouver Grizzlies. They can't go anywhere but up. In fact, they go down this season. They go from 15 wins Mm -hmm. somehow. And it'll be interesting to see how they become a worse team in season two, despite getting a bona fide all-star That'll be a big story that we go through for this. But today, I'm excited. We got new players other than Reef. We've got uh, uh, new optimism with the team. We've got Country as a full-on part of the rotation and a guy who can put up points. I'm excited to see where things go off the rails, but I'm excited to see, at least at this point, the potential and the hope that always, in each Vancouver Grizzlies season began anew with optimism, and somehow over the course of 80 games, whittled away. You may speak of great hope and optimism, but let me just remind our fair listeners where we're at here. It's December 6th, 1996, and the Grizzlies come in at 2-16 and 16 on a five-game losing streak. And just to throw an exclamation point on those depressing numbers, they're coming off a 47-point home loss to Reggie Miller and the Pacers. Miller had 36 points against them. Uh, Big Country's been out for four games. Blue Edwards is out. Greg Anthony's out. Doug Edwards is out. That doesn't really matter, but thought I'd mention it anyway. Uh, Very little hope here. (laughs) He's always out. He's always out. He doesn't really want to play. It's fine. Um, Very little hope for the Grizzlies, other than the fact that one of their previous two wins this season had actually come against the San Antonio Spurs and the Spurs are awful. And in particular, they're awful without the Admiral Dave, David Robinson in the middle, because he's out with a back injury. So that's the kind of the table set for this game with the Spurs. Well, and this is it. The San Antonio Spurs had one of the greatest 30 season runs of consistent NBA playing ever. And it was because principally of two men, David Robinson, at least two players, David Robinson for the first decade or so, and then Tim Duncan. But there is one season where basically neither of them played. David Robinson gets injured early on this season. This broadcast starts by the announcers talking about the rumors that he could be returning soon with a then GM only Greg Popovich quickly dispelling those. 
but then he plays for a couple games, then gets injured for the rest. So this is a putrid Spurs team. You know, we look at the stuff. <laughs> uh, the, there are names that we know here. You know, Sean Elliott is a name. The little ge- General Avery Johnson is a n- name. We have one of the top 50 NBA players of all time in Dominique Wilkins on this yeah, team Nick. who can still play. But this is a demoralized team all season. <laughs> and I think going in, it's just one of those games you circle for Vancouver. They won one already. Maybe they can win a second. Yeah, let's go to the starters. Vancouver starting big country at center. Sharif at the power forward. Uh, George Lynch at small forward. Anthony Peeler at shooting guard. And Lee Mayberry at the point. And the Spurs have Will Perdue at center, Carl Herrera at the four, Sean Elliott at the three, uh, Vinny Del Negro, amazing Vinny Del Negro, just the high <laughs> shorts and the hair right over his right over his ears, and as you mentioned, Avery Johnson at the point. And couple quick aesthetic points for this game. I want to give a alert alert Brian Winters hair update. Um, he's moved away <laughs> from the aggressively flat middle part. And instead has gone with a much more reasonable side part. So I breathed a big sigh of relief there. It wasn't something I had to like fixate on for half the game every time they turned to him. So that's nice. And then, of course, just a little bit of love because I am, uh, I will admit here on this podcast, I am quite the Spurs fan. And uh, those Spurs Fiesta warm-ups oh, were yeah. really getting me going. Their short sleeve with the black body. Uh, the colorful, uh, the colorful collar, and then they've got that mosaic across the middle and the scrawled San Antonio. Such a classic look, and they had uh, the Fiesta logo at half court as well. So that was a good look. On to the first quarter, Justin. From the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Fox Sports Southwest presents NBA basketball tonight. The Spurs host the Vancouver Grizzlies. The spirit of the 1990s so alive with both the Spurs and the Grizzlies, (laughs) with the Grizzlies still wearing their first season uh, colors here. First quarter, we've got two bad basketball teams here. Many times during this game, the announcers talk about how the Grizzlies don't have anyone that they think is worth doubling. And we quickly see early on the difference between this Grizzlies team and the last one in terms of the offense is primarily Anthony Peeler. He has been brought in, and we'll talk about him later, to be really the instigator from uh, beyond the arc and playing a two-man game with country often. He makes a long two at one point. Uh, We get a couple nice big country up and unders uh, as well. But really, uh, and I hate to be a broken record here, it's not exactly graceful basketball from either team. No, it's plotting, it's drudgery. And the one thing, of course, that we've brought up so many times is the long twos. And I won't talk about the long twos themselves, but I will talk about they don't even catch the ball outside the the three-point line, right? Like, it's not even really in their thought process. So that thing, you know, it takes a couple minutes to get over that. It takes more than two minutes for the first field goal make of the game. But let's get to what our listeners have been waiting for. Maybe they don't know it, but they have been. What they've been begging for... And that is the marquee matchup at center between Brian Big Country Reeves and Will Perdue. Justin, let's give a quick flashback to the streets of Vancouver on draft night 1995. I think he's going to be a butt. I think he's going to be the next Will Perdue. Will Perdue? That's a good comparison. How about yourself? I think he's a bad pick. He's too slow and he's too big. What do you think he's going to be able to accomplish here? I don't think he's going to improve much. He'll just stay as he is right now. So there we had it. Our two... um, 
attitude khaki wearing, collared shirt, tight tuck teenagers who are super mad about Bryant Reeves being drafted and saying he's going to be a stiff like Will Perdue. So here it is. We get to see it in action. And Will Perdue comes with a lot of energy. Six points, a bunch of boards, at least one block. He's kind of like angry and flailing and it's working. I mean, he has no touch really to speak of, but like he was kind of the only spur to speak of in the first quarter. Grizzlies with the ball, a one-point advantage. Nice look inside. Purdue with a second rejection of the game. He, he is putting that young man on YTV, who is now a successful lawyer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Shame, because he has energy. And you know what I think it is? Will Purdue did not obviously watch the YTV draft, but this is his chance to be a starting center with Robinson out. Uh, he's giving it his all. And yeah, anytime you're talking about Will Purdue as the highlight of any quarter, uh, things are not exactly exciting. It's back and forth the entire first quarter. Lee Mayberry misses a lamp right at the buzzer. It ends at 22-22. Normally at this point, at the end of the first quarter, we would talk about Big Country Reefs and how he did. But... This is our first game that we are doing with the only player arguably more important in Vancouver Grizzlies history than Big Country. So today, a special segment. Extra, extra, the Reef Review. So I was really interested and really excited to see Sharif Abdurrahim in this game. Obviously not his first game, but our first game of the podcast, taking a look at it. And, you know, I felt like he really did elevate the starting lineup with his athleticism, with his rebounding, actually surprisingly with a lot of energy and even some charisma and aggression. Like he actually was getting on the refs a little bit for a couple of calls, which is, you know, a bit uh, too big for your britches for a rookie. But like he kind of brought an aura with him to this game that I really thought elevated the Grizzlies and their game right away in this first quarter. He doesn't finish with huge numbers, uh, nine points, eight rebounds, an assist, a steal, and a turnover on four of nine shooting, and unfortunately one for four from the charity stripe. But he shows some flashes. Early on, we see the patented spin move from the post to the baseline. He gets fouled and goes to the free throw line. And then kind of right at the end in the fourth quarter, at a key moment in the game, he gets the ball near the top of the key, and it's that patented big up fake. Raheem with a big dribble to the hole, counted for the rookie. The one that you think, like, why would anyone fall for that? But, like, a lot of people always did. And he drives down the lane hard to the hoop and scores. It really brought a lot of nostalgia back to me really quickly, seeing the way he played with that length and with that attack of the basket, which I think the Grizzlies had been missing. Yeah, th this is still in the first month of his rookie season, and he hadn't quite established himself as the dominant focal point of the offense yet. Not only that, he gets in foul trouble a little bit early on, so he's out of the game for a lot of the second and third quarter, uh, and just because of the way the game goes, he only ends up with nine points. But yeah, the athleticism, you know, and maybe it's just after a season of watching Chris King and Ash Rafamaya and Anthony Avent <laughs> as the power forwards for the Vancouver Grizzlies, but seeing someone with just quickness and innate skill uh, in the post, the moves that he was uh, able to do was, yeah, just, first of all, joy to walk. Second of all, wonderfully nostalgic. And third, you could see, you know, this is just at this point a 20-year-old 
who is only like 15 games into his NBA career, just playing established veterans and showing that physically he's past them. And as we quickly would see, it just was a few more weeks later that he started going on this run of 20 and 25 and 30 point games that he was ready to be in the NBA as a starter pretty much immediately because he had that tool set that ultimately you can argue whether he built on it or not. But it was there, and we could see even just flashes of it in this sort of nothing 9.8 rebound game. Yeah, yeah. Lots to build on from this one from Sharif. And again, like he even gets a bit pissed off with Winters when Winters pulls him out with five minutes left in the fourth quarter. So there was some fire there that maybe I hadn't remembered quite as much with him. But we'll see how that uh, sustains itself as the losing mounts for uh, Reef and the Grizzlies here. And mounts and mounts and mounts. Uh, it's the second quarter. Anthony Peeler has a missed dunk. Vernon Maxwell has an air ball. Uh, the <laughs> announcer, nothing is happening. The announcer says, We've played two here in quarter number one. We're still tied at 24. Absolutely no tempo or pace to this ball game. It's like there's no intensity right now on the basketball court for either team. It's a weird game at the because they're trading baskets. It's back and forth in a sense, but you know they're right. It's just the tempo and sort of the feel of any skill on the court is not really there. Yeah, and so you mentioned uh, the the play by play announcer Ron Thulin, and he also at one point just said the Spurs have no energy. But I did want to point out one thing that he brought up, and this is the minutia. I had to dive in a little bit here. On a cutaway to Brian Winters, Ron Thulin says one of the best matchups he's ever seen at the Alamo Dome was between Brian Winters and the Iceman George Gervin. And I'm going, <laughs> okay, surely this is some level of hyperbole, just trying to bring some life to a ho-hum early season game. But I looked it up. No, it turns out that on March 6th, 1982, Gervin Spurs and Winters Bucks played a triple overtime barn burner that ended up Spurs 171 Bucks 166 Winters had 40 170 yes Winters had 42 and Gervin had 50 so that has to be what Thulin was talking about I mean it's we look and I think it's frankly the hair is a big part of it but yes we have to remember that Brian Winters was a key part of a perennial a perennial playoff contender for the Bucks for season after season that game much 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 better than this game we see in the second quarter after some more listless basketball and back and forth the Grizzlies start to pull away a little bit and it's Reeves with a post up it's Reeves again with another post up he's doing just those slick little classic big country seven foot turnarounds we get a reef dunk we get a reef long two it's a 10-0 run for the Grizzlies yeah and they end up on a 14 to 1 run at, at a certain point as well and let's just talk about big country for a second here he's an absolute unit in this game and particularly in the second quarter Greg can't stay with him and Reeves just uses that big body of his all seven foot 275 to worm his way in. What makes it work is his footwork. He does a great job with footwork turning that, that play into the lane. He's looking lean. He has a very high and tight brush cut with a flat top and kind of some sort of mustache thing going on. I'm not really sure. <laughs> but yep. honestly, he looks great. And that patented baseline fade is so smooth and so money. Like, 
I would go, you're going to laugh, but I would go as far to say that like, there was some Akeem, the dream, Elijah Wan smoothness in that turnaround. I know, I know that's like almost insane to say, but like, he was so confident with that shot, man. And it was just going down. Reeves, the turnaround. Oh, man. Patent that move and draw some interest on it. Carl Herrera's really been battling Brian Reeves. Got him a foot or two farther out than he uh, probably wanted to be. But he can shoot right over Carl Herrera. And he, he ends up with 29-7, 1-1-1 in this game on 75% shooting and 5 for 6 from the line. He looked like an all-star in this game, and it really started to come together in that second quarter where the Grizzlies really pulled away. It really is something to see. And you watch a game like that, and then you get frustrated and go, why could he not put that together more consistently? I went back and looked at the game logs for the first 15 or 16 games of the season before this. He had been struggling, you know, missed the first few, missed four games before this one against the Spurs as well. But for every, you know, consistent game where he shot more than 50% from the field, there were ones where he was just invisible. And this was the always the potential of country. And he would come up with these games every once in a while where he he looked like an all-star and I know this is the Spurs in their worst season ever but man he was bringing it yeah it was it was a pleasure to watch and we'll talk we'll talk a little bit more but he really puts the nail in the coffin with a signature play in the fourth quarter as well before we move on from the second quarter we have to talk just briefly about Roy Rogers that block <laughs> oh my yeah. god that was that was why Roy Rogers was my favorite player Matt Alexander, dangerous pass inside, and that is why Rodgers averaged five blocks a game in college. He even had 14 in one game versus Georgia. Defensive specialist, and you see Dominique trying to flip one up over the top, just not high enough. Dominique Wilkins, who at this point is like, you know, he's not the human highlight reel. He's kind of like a bit thick and not so quick anymore. He still knows how to put the ball in the hoop. But anyways, he tries like a leaning eight foot scoop shot in front of Roy Rogers and Roy Rogers puts it so emphatically in the second row that my jaw dropped. And it's one of those blocks that you're like, well, for sure that was a goaltend. There's no way. And they show the highlight and it's like, no, got it at the absolute apex. And I mean, he had so much time there. He probably tr should have tried to control the ball <laughs> yeah, and, you know, get, maybe get his team a possession. But no, like it was spectacular the way he absolutely spiked that out of bounds. I look forward to Roy Rogers replicating the Antonio Harvey experience of one or two amazing moments that makes me cheer. And then the rest of the time going, where is he on the court? Uh, Reef gets along too with a second left at the end of the second quarter. Reeves has 16 at the half. Everything is gravy. Vancouver leads 51 to 40 after two quarters. And that leads us to our halftime segment. What did Stu do now? It's not just what did Stu do now, it's what did Stu do this summer. And you know, Jeremy, I, this is where we shit on our lovable general manager and president and man who made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. <laughs> but I gotta say, the summer of 96... Perhaps Stu Jackson's apex as a general manager with the Vancouver Grizzlies. And the bar is low. 
I admit. Wait, 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 wait. Are we doing a positive what did Stu do now? Is this allowed? I am doing, you know, you can disagree, <laughs> but let me so let me tell you what happens in the summer of 1996. Number one, he drafts Sharif Abdul, Abdul Rahim. Can't really complain about that, all things considered. You talked about first five seasons, Rahim versus everyone else that could have been gotten. Solid choice. He releases all of the dead weight on the team from the year before. We're talking Gerald Wilkins, Ashraf Amaya, Anthony Avon. But the key thing that he does that offseason is he sees that the Los Angeles Lakers desperately, desperately need cap space in order to sign Shaq and to get Kobe Bryant uh, on the team. And they're maneuvering, and uh, the Lakers are trying to make all this happen, and they need someone to get a couple long-term contracts. And Stu gets Anthony Peeler and George Lynch, two young players, two cost-controlled players, two players that showed that they had much more potential than like 80% of the people on Vancouver the previous season. And he gets them essentially for a second-round draft pick. And that is a tidy piece of business. That's the sort of thing that you would want all expansion teams looking around the league to do. That's the Vegas Knights four seasons ago sort of move. So I, like I said, I got handed to Stu at least for this one off season. Yeah. That's the Sam Presti move right there. Right. You, I think basically what he had to do there was he picks up Lynch and Peeler and then they swap future seconds, which I guess would mean the Grizzlies are going to have the better second round picks. So the, you know, the Lakers are moving up, up a bit probably in the second round in that switch, but you're getting two highly functional at times, above average NBA players who in theory should have helped the Grizzlies to improve and improve their record and take that step toward the playoffs. Obviously it doesn't happen, but in this game, I was very pleased to see George Lynch out there mucking it up, hitting the offensive glass, hitting some floaters and some mid rangers. And then, you know, we'll talk about Peeler in a bit, but you need those dead eyed shooters, right? Like he's got the stroke. He can score from anywhere on the floor really. And you know, he's not, not an all-star by any stretch, but, that skill level and that specific skill, that specialty in scoring was something they needed. So I, I would applaud the move as well and now feel like we're in the twilight zone. But, you know, at this point, Stu is thinking Reef and Big Country are going to be my core and I need to surround them with competent guys. And he got two competent guys. And we're going to spend the rest of this season exactly seeing why that fell apart. And then the next season is well with Peeler. And ultimately, Lynch, we'll talk about them. He hates his time in Vancouver, gets out of here once his contract is over, then is an important part of better teams. But overall, again, this is might be the one time that we can say good job, Stu. So if you're listening, relish it right now because the next two or three seasons of Stu moves never come close to this. Still, you know what? You're right. Way to go, Stu. Nice trade. You fleeced the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers did what they wanted to do as well, but let's just say he fleeced someone. Let's get, let's give it. Yes. To the him. LA Lakers became three time NBA. <laughs> he fleeced the Lakers. So the Lakers could make moves to become three time NBA. <laughs> champions. <enabled> yes. <laughs> Third quarter underway. There is still just sort of the back and forthness. The Grizzlies can't really make too much happen here in this third quarter, but neither can the Spurs outside of, again, we are getting, and this is one of the only times we'll hear this phrase, the Will Purdue experience. (laughs) 
and there are dunks after dunks after dunks. Pick and roll and foul. What a pass from Vinny Del Negro to Will Purdue. Three dunks in the third quarter, including an and one. He blocks Sharif. He's playing like a man possessed out there. Honestly, country has an all-time career game, and we're tracking the Purdue-Country battle of the big men. And Purdue, like, he falls short of, of beating country in this game, but, like, he holds his own. He plays really well in this third quarter. Again, kind of a flash of brilliance. And I actually wondered, maybe if he's, I'm not sure if he was out of shape or what, but I was wondering why he was staying out of the game for such long stretches when he was playing so effectively while in the game. Also in the third quarter, we do get the flash of brilliance from Dominique Wilkins. Of course, the year before he spent in Greece and perhaps got a little bit too into the tzatziki sauce, but um, he was a little thick, a little bit, and definitely not as in shape as you might expect someone to be. But in this third quarter, you just see what an all-time great professional scorer can do. Dominique inside, count it. He takes the youngster to school. He gets the ball in the post, uses his big butt, and just like basically turns the corner and makes like three or four floaters in a row. And you're like, yeah, the man can score the basketball. Like that, that's what he was born to do, right? So that was kind of fun to watch Neek do his work in the third quarter. Neek turned in from a small forward into a power forward over that one year in Europe. But yeah, I mean, he played... <laughs> Well, but you could see in this game how he fit the profile for the Spurs of this entire season is just, you know, the veteran that knows how to create offense and gets 20 points a game. But ultimately, there's just nothing around the team to make them do any more. And look, when your biggest offensive highlights in a quarter are 37-year-old Dominique Wilkins and Will Purdue, uh, there is options lacking. Third quarter, though, the Spurs do get within four at one point after Sean Elliott dunk. The crowd does get excited, but we get a Roy Rogers fast break layup. Anthony Peeler makes a nice pump fake long two at one point. The Spurs really cannot make anything happen in the second half of the third quarter, which means that it it ends after three with the Grizzlies up 74-65. That leads us to our third quarter segment. There are no Grizzlies. And there are so many new Vancouver Grizzlies on this team, so many that we're going to know and love and loathe in the years ahead. But let's talk about the one we brought up earlier, the big new star that comes to town star, but key player that was expected to help them, Anthony Peeler. I mean, I really liked having him out there. He had a bit of a slow start. And I was kind of going, what is he doing? But then he's got the quick release. It's that nice lefty uh, jumper that you're not always expecting right away. He jacks from everywhere. Like he'll be two feet on the three-point line, just confidently stroking a, a long jumper. He ended up the game 19, seven assists, five rebounds, two steals, eight of 19 shooting, uh, one of three from the line. He was a little bit of a historical context, the 15th overall pick for the Lakers in 1992. He played four years with them, then traded to the Grizzlies in that trade that you mentioned. He was a four-year, as most people were at that time, college player for Missouri and averaged 23 points per game in his senior year. Ends up never really going very far in the playoffs or playing for any great teams because he ends up with Minnesota after this. Dabbles in the playoffs with some of those Garnett teams ends up playing 827 games in the show so you know we talk about successful careers that is 
by all definitions, a very successful career, a guy who could just score the ball and, and stuck around the league for a really long time. You know, but was he a good player? That's a different question. We're getting spoiled today with a good 8-for-19 shooting performance really keyed in. But over the course of this season, you know, Peeler gets a true shooting percentage of just four, what, 487, which is the 12th worst in the NBA that year. For a shooter, for win shares, he is third worst of all qualified players, about 180, with just .012 win shares for 48 minutes. I mean, he was a flashier Blue Edwards essentially a chucker and chuckers can have long careers and he certainly did uh it was just with other teams after this season he plays a little bit one season after this for vancouver then demands a trade sort of admits that he was disgruntled the entire time you can't really blame someone after going from the lakers to vancouver in some ways eventually he gets traded for another malcontent in doug west another story but you know the grizzlies tried year after year to have sort of this shooting guard that could provide support for eventually both Reeves and Reef. We had Sam Mack. We had Byron yeah. Scott. It never really came to fruition. No one was really able to give that. And so, yeah, I mean, Anthony Peeler looked good in this game, could play well from time to time, but ultimately just did not have what it took to provide on a consistent game-to-game -game basis the support that the Grizzlies or any really team in the NBA needed if you wanted him more to be more than a depth option. Yeah, and he's one of these guys too, which, I mean, this story repeats itself throughout Grizzlies history, where these players come to the squad and are expected to assume kind of a top like pseudo superstar, well, I wouldn't say superstar, but a pseudo star role, right? Like, he had career highs in minutes per game, points per game, assists per game, nearly in rebounds per game. He's doing kind of as much as he can for the Grizzlies. But just like we talked about in season one with Greg Anthony, it's like, yeah, Greg Anthony was the best player on the floor. But if Greg Anthony is the one playing all these minutes and being in these situations where the game is on the line and, and it comes down to that performance being the result being a win or a loss then that's a problem, but we have what we have to work with here. And so seeing Anthony Peeler put in 38, 39 minutes or whatever it may be, you know, I didn't mind it in this game anyway. We have what we have to work with. I mean, we're talking about Anthony Peeler in 2021. Uh, it is the fourth quarter. The Spurs, you know, they are still in the game. They get a couple times within five points or four. There's a Neek three. There's a Maxwell layup. But they can't really get any closer than that. And a big reason is the big fella. Big country Bryant Reeves is in the middle, and he, frankly, is dominating both in his ability to make baskets happen in the post, but also be the focal point and distribute out of these double teams as well. Actually, I wanted to talk about that, so thanks for reminding me. I was really impressed with how comfortable he looked passing out of the double teams, which was not something... Well, first of all, you wouldn't see him be double teamed very often in his rookie year, but uh, that vision and the calm and collected approach to being double teamed he really took his time he put the pass on the money and he allowed the grizzlies to swing the ball around the perimeter and look for that open shot on the other side so i was really impressed with him there as well and you know the grizzlies really got kind of the team performance that they just never got in this fourth quarter it was like everything the spurs brought they had an answer to you mentioned the neek three and the maxwell layup well 
Lee Mayberry hits a three to answer. Neek brings the Spurs back to six with a strong move in the post. That's where Reef does the fake, uh, the big up fake and the drive. He puts them back up. Even, I think at one point, we got to uh, experience a little bit of magic from Chris Robinson, who hits a three. And uh, he ends up with 10 point. Yes, 10 points, seven rebounds, two assists, and a steal in 24 minutes. Like, Chris Robinson had a game, and he had some energy and athleticism out there. So it was just one of those things where kind of everything was clicking, no matter what the Spurs did, which, you know, it wasn't much. It was, it was a bit of a whimper as far as a fight that they put up. But it didn't matter. The counterpunch was always there. And, you know, it really it was great because the narrative comes full circle. Big country gets the, the ball in the post with a lot of pressure from his nemesis that we've made up, Will Purdue. And it's absolutely beautiful. Purdue fronting Reeves and working hard on him. Reeves got the position and the slam. He's such a big guy who doesn't look like he has that kind of capability. His terrific footwork. 27 points for Brian Reeves. And Will Purdue is about to get a technical if he's not careful. No dribble, just takes a step. And it's a reverse, almost windmill dunk. It was emphatic. It was like a powerful dunk. And that was, that was kind of it. That made the score 95-87. And the Spurs kind of just dwindled away from that point. You know, the final possession for the Spurs, I was cackling. The game was over. It was 15 or 16 points. Back out to Max. Fans yelling, somebody to shoot it. Corey does and misses. Rebound. Monty steals it away, has it blocked, tries it again, won't go. Will back out to Max, launches about a 30-footer, goes 29. Back to Tim Kempton, baseline jumper. This is not pretty. They missed like six shots, and it's just like, it looked like a junior varsity team or whatever it is. But yeah, that country dunk was the exclamation point, and that, like, they looked like a squad. They knew how to win in that fourth quarter. I don't know. Obviously, it was a, a bit of a one-off for the team, but they showed confidence. They showed poise. And their star for that game, Country, kind of took it on his shoulders when it needed to happen. It really is a signature big country game. 29 points, 7 rebounds, 12 for 16 from the field. You know, like key contributions off the bench from Roy Rogers, Chris Robinson, Lawrence Moden, who we didn't talk about. It's a great what if for the Grizzlies of if they could win consistently. But part of the reason that they win 105 to 89 and go to 3 and 16 on the season is because of who they're facing. The San Antonio Spurs, and it's such a putrid season for them. And I want to talk about just their final possessions in this game. After they cut it to 95-89 with 350 left on that knee layup, they then go, their final possessions are a turnover, another turnover, a missed jumper, a missed three-pointer, a turnover, another <laughs> missed three-pointer, and then their last possession, they miss four little putback shots in the final 10 seconds. The announcers say this isn't pretty because it wasn't. And sure enough, they have one more loss after this game. And the general manager goes, that's it. He fires coach Bob Hill. And that's a bold move to do. And it's an even bolder move to replace him with yourself. But that person was Greg Popovich. And then the, who the Spurs draft that year, they get the first overall pick, something that the Vancouver Grizzlies are ineligible to do. They get Tim Duncan. The next 20 years of NBA history go in a very positive way for them. Vancouver Grizzlies never have a positive season, but for one game, we can smile at a win. And with that, 
This has been with the second pick, Steve Francis. For Justin McElroy, I'm Jeremy Allingham. We'll be back with another game from the Vancouver Grizzlies 96-97 season when they take on Akeem the Dream Elijah Wan and the Houston Rockets.